Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Beautiful people. Today's partner has a product I use every dang day. It's A1 by Athletic Greens. I combine cashew butter, oat milk, frozen fruits, spinach, and one scoop of AG1 every morning, and the taste is heaven. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, and probiotics. There are zero GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial flavors, and less than one gram of sugar. And I know that eating healthy can be pricey and feel elitist, but AG1 costs less than $3 a day. Furthermore, and you know I love this, Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. And for every purchase, AG donates to organizations that help get nutritious food to kids in need. In 2020, AG donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash gray. that's G-R-E-Y. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash gray to take ownership over your health and support kids in need while doing it. Hi, beautiful people. My name is Brenda Davies. I'm the creator and host of In the Gray. And today we're talking to Bethany C. Myers. Bethany uses the pronouns they, she, and is the founder and CEO of the Become Project. The Become Project is a subscription-based fitness platform built on the idea of bringing inclusivity, approachability, and body neutrality to the fitness world. And if you haven't heard the term body neutral before, you are not alone. Before this conversation, I'd only been familiar with the notion of either ignoring your body, hating your body, or leaning into self-love via body positivity. But Bethany, who has many identities that reside in the gray, like being non-binary and polyamorous, teaches fitness through a body-neutral lens, which shifts our daily self-criticism to a middle ground of acceptance, where maybe you don't or can't love your body that day, but that you still respect and care and honor he, she, or they being your body. Beyond the Become Project, Myers is a prominent voice and advocate in the LGBTQ community, with their particular ambition being to make movement accessible to more people. I really hope you enjoy this episode between myself and Bethany C. Myers. Hi, Bethany C. Myers. Hello. <laughs> Um, so I've been aware of your work for the better part of a year, but it really wasn't until I heard you and Nico on Chelsea Handler's podcast that I was like, 
oh shit, I have to talk to them. I really want to have this conversation. <laughs> I love it. It was, it was such a fun podcast. I was like a little bit nervous going in, but it's one of my favorites. It was really great. <laughs> yeah, it was really lovely because her whole thing is that she kind of gets to know our guests for one second and then you just dive right into taking calls and giving advice and questions to people who are like trying to glean from your wisdom. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and also like I've watched Chelsea Handler for years and have has loved her work. And, you know, so it was, it was kind of surreal to be in the flesh. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I would like to say straight out of the gate too, that you are such a fascinating person to me as well, because you have really picked up a bunch of labels and I don't even know if I'm like, uh, saying that properly, but you know, I, you seem so comfortable being like, these are the things that I ascribe to me and my person and who I am. And um, I wonder if, if labeling things and like giving them concise names has helped you understand yourself better or clarify who you are in the world or why it is particularly that you are drawn to and, and comfortable with like ascribing labels in these ways. Well, I think I have a, I'm one of those people that feel very passionately about the need to speak out, um, which actually probably comes from some of my religious upbringing, which I'm sure we'll get to later, but you know, (laughs) the the missionary vibe. Um, But when something helps me or, you know, I, I like to talk about it and I think it also helps me to talk about it. So what I found is I actually don't really love labels. I think me as a person is much more fluid and approachable than sometimes labels can be, which are so, you know, fast and firm and black and white and not so gray. Um, but I do think that labels can help people make sense of things. And so when it comes to being a teacher or to talking or to speaking about things, it's sometimes easier to put some context around it. Not to mention, you know, language has evolved so much um, that I think right now we're at a time where people are really connecting with labels to describe their sexuality or their identity or their relationship or how they operate in the world because it can make us feel kind of safe, maybe in a world that doesn't feel super safe right now. Um, but Nico and I talk about labels a lot and we're both kind of like, Ugh, are we just so burnt out on the la- like <laughs> non-binary polyamorous, like all the things. I mean, it's, it's, it's great, but, um, sometimes it's hard to feel like there's really a word that can actually encompass, uh, everything thing that I am without having some sort of stigma attached. So I think labels are super important and language is super important, but I also like my hope would be that we can grow out of labels and we just are, you know, when we get to know people for who they are and and my biggest wishful thinking. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. And someone like you and Nico both speaking out so openly about everything and every facet of your relationship and your personal lives and yourselves as individuals is very inspiring and is very educational. I think I completely agree. I've had such an interesting journey with labels as well, because sometimes I'll find one. For example, when I was like leaving evangelical church and and hating that so much, I discovered this term progressive Christian. And I was like, oh my gosh, I found myself. I found something that describes me. And then that whole language started getting tainted and I felt like it had become something I no longer identified as. 
And then I ultimately end up kind of rejecting it or casting it aside. And the funny thing is, or maybe the ironic thing is that the labels that you, that I've noticed, like mentioned with your name are actually so expansive. It's like the label would seem limiting, but they are to basically describe to people that you're so open and so fluid in so many different areas. And um, I do want to talk about your religious upbringing because I'm fascinated by that always, but also about being non-binary and having um, different relationship style that not everyone can relate to, and also your body neutrality movement. Because I've heard of body positivity endlessly, and I have a lot of different feelings about that as someone who also survived anorexia. Mm-hmm. Um, but body neutrality really fascinates me because even when we signed on here, I'm like looking at wrinkles and feeling old. And I'm like, what will Bethany tell me about body neutrality? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I've made a lot of mistakes in that area as well. Um, And I think this conversation, I would like to be a lot about the mistaken thoughts that we have and like really figuring out how to really honor people when they're carrying these identities with them and they want to be honored in this way. So first of all, could you tell us a bit about the, um, the become project? Yes. What do you want to know? (laughs) (laughs) So I know a bit about your story. I saw a Ted talk that you did where you were very openly and candidly talking about your struggle with being a fitness coach. I believe you said for, you were in it for eight years. You were in it for a very long time. Also harboring this secret that you were dealing with anorexia and bulimia and teaching these classes and promoting body positivity, I'm sure for others. So is this kind of the trajectory, like coming out of that and then discovering what you really want to say about body and health? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you nailed it. I, great. <laughs> so that was great. I'm going to still on the line. Um, so the Become Project is my, is, is my business. Um, it's an online fitness platform. It's subscription-based, um, but it's really movement and workouts that come at it from a body-neutral approach, as well as a really accessible, really inviting approach. And it's focusing on how movement makes us feel and not focusing on how, you know, exercise or movement makes us look. And it's really trying to reframe the reason that we work out in order to make it a more positive and enjoyable experience. Um, There's so many benefits to movement. And I have been kind of accidentally in fitness, like for most of my life, I actually started teaching classes when I was 16 years old, like, you know, gymnastics to the kids or whatever. Um, I never really thought this would be my job. Um, and I think movement for me was always tied to a source of punishment Mm -hmm. and like a remedy to fix this thing, AKA my body, which I thought was broken. Um, and I really abused like, I think I really abused movement in the sense that I can remember like every workout that I would do having this like very painful, very pressing, loud thought that was like, you have to get your thighs skinnier. You have to get your thighs skinnier, right? It's like this constant Mm -hmm. like yelling at myself almost. Um, and throughout all of this, I was, I was teaching, you know, group fitness and I don't know that I like 
did a lot to instill, you know, self-shaming in clients. I think I've always been a great and really thoughtful instructor. Um, but I know where my approach was and what it was rooted in. And as I started to begin healing uh, from eating disorders and healing my relationship with movement, I really had this huge shift that happened for me and this new way of kind of looking at it and like this new acceptance of self. And um, I found the word body neutrality. I was writing an article for someone and I was talking about body positivity and they were like, Hey, can we kind of switch this up to body neutrality? And when I first heard the word body neutrality, I felt incredibly angry about the word. Um, I felt like, what do you mean I should be neutral about my body? I've been spending all this freaking time trying to be positive. Like, what does neutral mean? Like, I don't care. Like, that can't be right. Uh, So for anyone out there who feels that way, I I totally get you. (laughs) So body neutrality is, is not that you don't care about your body or not that it means nothing or not that you shouldn't think about it, but it's about, it's about accepting the way that we feel and allowing ourselves to feel all directions of our body. So it's not possible that we're going to feel positive 100% of the time about our body. So one of the issues with body positivity, which don't get me wrong, body positivity did great things for society. It changed the game for a lot of people and there is good surrounding body positivity, but it is evolved. And I think the problem with body positivity is that when you inevitably have that day where you feel like crap about your body, Mm -hmm. you feel like you failed at body positivity. And so it's just setting us ourselves up in another circle of failure and body neutrality allows you to say, I feel great about my body today. Okay. But it's just a body. It's not the most important thing. And it also allows you to say, I feel negative about my body, but okay, it's not the most important thing. Yeah, this is really interesting because I, being someone whose podcast is called In the Gray, it sounds like this is leaving so much more room to play with all of the inevitable feelings and emotions and traumas and even sicknesses, all these things that can encounter us when we're just trying to live in this vessel. It's not an easy life to live in this vessel, Um, especially when you're going through major life changes or your body is changing in ways you don't recognize, you don't feel comfortable with. Um, So I really do love that. How does it look in the day-to-day? Because I I have observed in myself, and I'm trying to work to change this, that when I go through to a mirror, I will more often than not point out the thing that I hate first and then try to like center myself and be like, okay, but I like these other things that I'm seeing. Um, Is there a certain practice that you put there day to day to practice this neutrality? Yeah. I, I mean, I think the first thing that's really important to note is I don't believe that body neutrality is a place that you arrive and then you're like, and now I'm body neutral, you know, <laughs> not like getting saved or something. You know? um, and the way I like to think about it is sort of this pendulum that swings back and forth. So on one side of the pendulum would be body positivity and the other side would be body shame. And I think the journey of body neutrality is trying to get that pendulum from swinging all the way from end to end, you know, maybe rapidly back and forth and trying to get it to a slower swing 
where it rests more in the middle, which is what I would consider the neutral space. But I don't really think that that pendulum ever stops moving. Mm -hmm. And that is um, a really tough piece to accept. And so I have, um, I've been trying to get pregnant. I've been on a journey of fertility for almost a year and a half now. And it's been really painful and really hard. And I'm going through a miscarriage literally currently. I'm going in tomorrow to have a procedure and I'm going to try not to get super emotional here. But in this journey, my my acceptance of body and and my view of body has been the harshest that it's been in a while. Um, and even just like this, you know, I did get pregnant this little bit of time. I really noticed how much my body changed and my desire for movement and being depressed, my desire for movement, right? Like mm. it's been really difficult and physically I've seen that change. And so recently I was kind of thrown back a little bit, right? Thrown, like my pendulum really started swinging and swinging toward the shame. And I was like reminded, I was like, shit, this is hard. This is really hard. And I think like that going in the mirror idea that you mentioned and like right away pointing out the negatives for me personally, it's less about them trying to counter it with a positive and more about being like, wow, I'm really feeling bad about my body today. Mm. I wonder what, and then maybe asking questions, right? I, I wonder why it's feeling so extra hard. Oh, I'm de dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. My hormones are surging. I'm taking medicines. I don't feel like moving, right? And then um, saying, and then it's almost like saying, I wonder why it makes me so upset. You know, it, it, it makes me so mad, right? And, and that's like society, magazines, the things that we've been told, diet culture, right? Like that's that ingrained piece. And then it's sort of acknowledging those two things. It's like, I have society telling me that I'm supposed to look exactly like this and I'm supposed to control it. And then I have me who's experiencing all of these external things and those are meeting together. And no wonder I don't have a lot of nice things to say today. Hmm. that's okay. Look at what my body is getting me through. Look at what it's doing. You know, does that kind of make some sense? Like, I just feel like sometimes it's less about swinging it the other way and more about acknowledging where it is. No, I love that because I know we share a similar upbringing. And for me within Christianity, or even just in certain parts of the world, like being in a white Irish Catholic family, who is like, repressing ideas and thoughts from each other at the dinner table, like the repression of so many things and always trying to steer yourselves towards the positive thoughts and then ascribing what's a negative emotion versus what's a positive emotion instead of being like, this is what it is to live in a body. This is what it is to feel anger and turmoil. And I do have to note, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that bit of vulnerability with us that is a really precious bit of information. And I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, and we can go into that further if you want or not. But um, I mean, I've noticed so many things with pregnancy and my expectation, like even the point of shame where women are immediately invited to be mad at their bodies if you don't produce the perfect amount of milk and you're not able to sustain. And I heard you mention on some podcast about a geriatric pregnancy is what they call you when you're over 35. Wow. 
And it's like all the words that are attributed to it. It's like every day you're invited into shame. And I also, of course, acknowledge the privilege of my slender white body and what that's afforded me in the world. I lived as a model for many years. And um, so there's a whole other aspect and struggle that I can't even fathom of people whose bodies haven't for so long fit into what you saw in the magazines and movies. I was just watching Willy Wonka with my son today, which honestly I find to be a a horribly annoying movie. All the kids in that are such little assholes. (laughs) I was like, I'm never letting him watch this. Like when he's more conscious, Um, (laughs) But like even watching something like that and be like, oh, they did a random raffle of golden tickets and there's not one freaking black kid in the mix. And like, not just like, so it's like Mm -hmm. when you see these things, you can't unsee them and you begin to open your eyes. But like, um, yeah, all of that said, I know this, this subject encompasses so much. So I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. How do you um, commit yourself to making sure the Become Project is a really inclusive space where people do feel really self safe and welcome, like no matter what the shape or color or size of their body is? I mean, I think that's also something that's always a work in progress. You know, we have a, a really awesome team of people um, who are behind the mission, which really helps. And when I say team, I mean like small, like we're talking four, we're super self-funded, super grassroots, super <laughs> like it is, it is all blood, sweat and tears and real people behind the screen <laughs> making it work. Um, but, you know, I think it's incredibly important to listen. And what I love about the Become Project is that the clients built us. We did not build them. Um, when I, at the, it, it's too long of a story to go into now, but kind of how we started is a pretty fascinating story and interesting. But I kind of put out routines out there and put an idea out there. And then people latched on to it. Um, and, I listened to them. They gave me back what they wanted. You know, I think there's a lot of synergy that happens, um, you know, on a more basic level, like we have a, a scholarship program and, you know, we have give back initiatives and these kind of things, I think, help keep us well-rounded and other voices that c- come into our decision-making. Um, but I really think that it is the listening to people, allowing them to be vulnerable, allowing them to show up as they are me changing my teaching, according to what I'm, I'm hearing, you know, helps, helps all of that. Um, I, when I first started teaching, I would always give like different alternatives for different bodies. And about a year in, I kind of realized that like, I wasn't all the way there. And so uh, uh, the example I'm thinking of is when it comes to planking. So I would show like how to plank on the floor and the plank that you're used to seeing, how to plank on your knees, um, you know, maybe a couple different versions. Then I was like, wait, you can also do a plank off a chair and you can also do a plank off the wall. And like, how do we start to like really vary this in ways where people can feel confident and sure and safe in their bodies when they're coming in? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that for me has been a really cool teaching experience is to like grow so much as an instructor because of what my clients have taught me and not necessarily because of what I'm learning in a class. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, When you were talking originally about this connection you have always felt to your body and the devotion you've had to it and your awareness of it and everything, I feel like that is, some people have that and some people don't. (laughs) 
And um, that's a unique thing. And I'm wondering if you felt that from a young age, how it felt, maybe if you remember back to being a young person, how it felt to be in your body, because another one of the so-called labels that you have is being non-binary. So, you know, all of those things before you have these reckonings, how does it feel to be in your body as a young person? Um, did you start off feeling healthier and happier about things? Was there a moment where things changed or did you always sort of struggle with what it is to be in your body? Well, ah, uh, that's a nice juicy question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was, I was raised very religious. We were raised independent Baptist and we went to a small church that had a school connected and I have three older brothers. And so I was born into the church. All my brothers graduated from the school. Um, a, there was a lot of, a lot of things. Let's see, how, how am I going to shorten this story some? Um, <laughs> I don't know that I was like really allowed to think about how I felt in my body. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I like really got there, you know, like I don't have times remembering when I was young where I was like, oh, I'm queer um, or gender is a construct, you know, like that's really more about what non-binary is for me. I just think like the whole gender conversation is a little bit tired um, personally. And so to me, I like the idea of not ascribing to anything. It allows me a sense of freedom that I think is really incredible and powerful. Um, probably freedom that I didn't necessarily feel, but like when I was young, I can remember asking our youth pastor and being like, I don't understand, like if being gay is so bad and you have to like live in this world like this, right. And in my head, and no one likes you and you're going to hell and you're a sinner. Why would people choose to be gay? And they said, um, they said that people didn't choose to be gay, but that if you had fallen so deep into sin, God would punish you by making you gay. And so that was kind of my perception of what gay people are, right? They're like so bad that they have this punishment. And I didn't know any gay people. So I moved to Chicago when I was 20 years old. That's when I first met my spouse, Nico. And I'm from this little small town in Missouri. All I ever wanted to do was like, go to Hollywood, go to the big city. My mom was like, you can go to Chicago. Okay, fair. (laughs) Um, And, but Chicago was like bright lights, big city. You know, I was like, this place is unbelievable. Wow, wow, wow. And then I met gay people and I was like, oh my God, you're great. Like, wait a second. And at that point in time, I had like pulled back from religion, but I hadn't questioned a lot of the particular beliefs that I was raised with. My version of that I knew of religion is not everyone's version, you know, not a lot of people's version, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really started to make me question. And it wasn't long after until I had a friend who is female. It was New Year's Eve. And I watched her kiss a guy. And I felt incredibly jealous. And that was the first moment where I was like, oh, oh, wait, oh, wait a second. And then I could like look back and be like, that that girl in college. Oh my God, that, you know, like where you're like, oh. I had the same experience in quarantine. It was like a movie. It was like a cinematic moment of like her, her, her. Oh my God. Like all the walls fell down. (laughs) Okay. 
Um, but I think that, you know, there was really a lot of fear in the religion that I grew up in. And I think that fear was debilitating for me in a way that like, didn't really allow me to go there that, that I can think of anyway. Yeah. Um, the narratives I had received about body were that it, it's like a source of shame whenever you're doing anything that is actually embodiment. And something I love bringing up over and over again is that when you look at the root word Satan, it means the divider. So actually asking people to live divided from their body or from their spirit or from their intellect or any of those things is in the truest sense of the word satanic. Wow. Yes. I find this fascinating because the things that we were told to like fear are dancing in a provocative way, or even just dancing as a person that might be considered attractive to some person in a room somewhere. It was like terrifying. So it's like, don't do that. Don't dress in such a way to tempt your brothers. Don't give in to negative emotions like depression. That's of the enemy. Sadness is of the enemy. Anger is of the enemy. These are like the opposite of fruits of the spirits. Um, just so much division, 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 and fear. And exactly what you're describing, this inability to play with any social construct, with any sort of freedom, because they're constructed that way for a reason, and you just get trapped there, and there you are. Yeah, I love that you just brought up the dancing piece, because, uh, and, and all of it. It's fascinating, and now my mind is turning. But I... Um, I wasn't allowed to dance, you know, growing up. Uh, and, and I also was under strict dress code specifically with the, the school, which, you know, is like, it's also kind of rape culture and like weird to be sexualizing yeah. such young, yeah, it's like icky. Um, but with the dancing, I remember once going to a ballet class, but I like had to wear a leotard and it was a hard no, right? Because of what you had to wear. And so I started cheerleading and, uh, for the Christian school, you know, and cheerleading was like the, uh, the thing that actually probably got me into fitness where I am today. I went very far in cheerleading. I cheered competitively. I wow. cheered for UCA. That was the first time that I ever taught, like really taught and found out I was good at it. Like cheerleading took me to all kinds of places. But now when people look at my movements, they're always like, oh, you must have been a dancer. And I'm like, no, I wish I was a dancer, <laughs> but I never got any of that. And uh, when I transferred to a public school from a Christian school, I was 16 years old. And um, I, I went to the cheer camp. I made the cheerleading team and I went to the cheer camp and there was a move in the dance where we had to shake our hips twice. Like we had to go boom, boom, and shake our hips back and forth. And I wouldn't shake my hips. I would only move my arms. And my cheer coach was like, you have to shake your hips. And I was like, I don't think I'm allowed to shake my hips hips. So I like distinctly remember the first time that I shook my hips. Like how strange is that? <laughs> oh my gosh. It makes me uh, angry. And also that's hilarious at the same time. <laughs> but I also find it fascinating because when I learn about embodiment and health of the body, the fact that you can have trauma 
instilled in your body. Um, that's not the right word, but you know, your body remembers its trauma and the fact that you can release those traumas by doing specific movements, especially sexual trauma. I think I've heard that facilitators will often have clients move their hips specifically to work through those traumas. I've done that intuitively as well. When I've broken up with a partner, I'll find myself like naked dancing my ass off in a living room, not out of joy. I'm like crying all over the place. But when I looked back after I learned about embodiment, years later, I was like, that's what I was always doing intuitively, like releasing and allowing myself to shake it out like an animal would. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like sad well, that you didn't have those experiences. Yeah. And up. I think, you know, when we have it, like when I'm injured or I have a pain point, it's always related to emotion, you know, like when I'm super stressed, my middle back around my adrenals goes out. Uh, like pain and emotion always holds in my hips mm. uh, and they're meridians of the body where those pieces do hold for us. And I'm not an expert on this by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, being able to release both the mind and the body and traumas through movement is incredible. Yeah. Well, again, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. So very important. <laughs> Um, we got into the Christian conservatism. I think that I would also obviously be curious how this affected going into such an unconventional relationship as far as the wider bit of our society understands relationship and love, because you and Nico, your spouse, who you're married to, are both would you both call yourself non-binary or gender fluid or are they interchangeable terms? We now call ourselves everything. We've ditched the labels internally in the house. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I did notice something in the Chelsea interview where you had labeled yourselves they, she, they, he. And it sounded like a lot of the intent was just to be gracious to others and to allow room for mistake, because I still absolutely find that language barrier. I think a lot of Gen Zers would be like, it's not that hard. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm in my late thirties. It's a little hard, you know, like yeah. I'm working on it. I really care. But you know, when you make that mistake and mess up and someone gets really angry at you, it's like, it's very challenging because it breaks my heart. I want people to know that they're seen and respected by me. And at the same time, I will slip up and just feel terrible about it. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, everyone has a different experience with labels. I, I think so many people in the queer community, specifically in the millennial generation, I think Gen Zers are doing a great job of being like, who cares? Everybody, you know, like, oh, okay, you're bi, sure. Like everyone else is too. They, them. Right. Uh, but for a lot of people older, um, they spent the majority of their life not being able to be who they are. And we want to talk about like trauma that exists in the body. I mean, like there's a lot there. Um, and so I think that's where like mislabeling can become such an attack as opposed to the recognition that some people are like still getting there. Mm. For me, um, pronouns, I, well, I think that pronouns shift. I think gender identity shifts, sexual, you know, that's kind of the fluid part for me, which is why I like that word so much in trying to get pregnant. And in this process, I started connecting more with the she pronoun. I was kind of surprised. I actually thought I would connect with it less. 
Um, but there is something about being so super in touch with the anatomy and all the, you know, all the pieces of it that it has just felt okay. And so I've kind of said, okay, I'm going to go with that because if I truly believe gender is fluid, then like, this is the fluid piece and trying to honor that piece of myself. Um, and, and then the other piece that you, you already mentioned is kind of like this language barrier. And sometimes I was just like, I'm kind of tired. Me personally, I feel tired of like trying to keep up with pronouns, trying to always tell someone pronouns, trying to correct someone, telling them it's not a big deal, telling them I'm not really mad, going through the, I'm sorry, hearing them mess up again. Like, it's just exhausting. You know what I mean? I'm like, I just want to order a pizza. Like can we just be done. And so, and also like the last year has been really draining and really hard for me. And it sort of felt like one less thing to worry about. And as I say that I'm fully aware that like that experience that I'm having is not the experience for many people who, you know, identify as non-binary or who have they, them pronouns or like, you know, I have no tons of those people in my life who don't have the same experience. Um, but that's just kind of where I am. Um, and I want to focus on not they and them in a sentence. Okay. Well, <laughs> no. great. Great to know. Yeah. <laughs> that was the most honest I think I've ever been about that answer right there. So, well, I really appreciate your honesty because that's what I'm going for with this whole podcast. And I, I think the most important note that I am learning or just recognizing in the world is that almost none of these people groups that seem so separate or seem like they're in their own world are monoliths. Like I haven't, I have yet to talk to a non-binary person who had the exact same view of how it feels when someone does the wrong pronoun or approaches them in a certain way. Like everyone seems to vacillate on how they feel. And I wonder if a lot of that is just attributed to our upbringing generationally where we're at, how much it might hurt. Like if our family isn't getting behind us, if you need the support of your friends more and then it does become more hurtful when people don't recognize that in you, Um, even in a split second moment when you just want to get a pizza, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I think it's just good to keep talking about these things because not everyone feels the same way and it's interesting Right. Yeah. And, you know, all non-binary people don't feel the same way, the same way all straight people don't feel the same way, you know? And that's where I think like labels fail us um, in the sense that we try to like give a label and we're like, okay, now I get it. And then we forget that there's like so much within that. There's so much nuance. I, I I love the title of your podcast because I'm so obsessed with the gray and with the nuance. And I I just think it makes like a lot of sense specifically from people who are raised very religious where there is not any gray area, you know, everything is black and white. And that is a constant piece of like my healing. It's a constant conversation and therapy, you know, it comes up in like everything, the need to be good, the need oh. to like be able to assign something as good to be a good Christian girl, you know, like it, it is so deeply rooted within, uh, that it's, I just like, a, I don't know. I think it's kind of amazing. Like even in this, in this getting pregnant piece, 
there's something that I've really been uncovering through therapy that it's like, I, you know, my body is not good enough or I'm not good or I must be, I must be being punished. Like those old thoughts from young, young childhood are still surfacing in a way today that is very, very, what's the word I'm looking for? A strong, prominent. Yeah. I, well, this is what I was talking about earlier, how certain moments in our life, our body has faces some sort of reckoning and it really does illuminate so many things that may have been hidden inside of you, whether it be from childhood, your beliefs about yourself, your value as a woman, again, us both sharing this Christian background we are meant to be mothers. Your options are like the Jezebel whore that's doing all the wrong things, sleeping with whoever she wants, which I'm sure a lot of people have that perception of you, me as well. <laughs> and um, and then the polar opposite of that is the Virgin Mary. She never got penetrated by a penis. And yet here she is like bringing forth the son of man. And it yeah. seems like there is no- pregnant and didn't even have to have sex. Like, I mean- exactly. <laughs> And there's there's just no middle ground of like, and here's just a, a person who loves sex or doesn't or feels this way or doesn't. But um, again, I don't know how deeply you want to go into it because I know it's heavy on your mind right now and it's a part of what you're going through. But it does just make me curious. I have had an abortion that I- found very traumatizing because it was in the midst of an abusive relationship. And I was really abused into that decision. And um, ultimately I made a decision that I felt peace, not peace with necessarily, but that I felt that I had made myself um, that this ex hadn't made for me. Um, But that was, that's my sole experience with the loss of a pregnancy. So I mean, I can only imagine the scripts that come up of your body failing you, your body failing this baby that you want to have, your body failing your partner. Do you feel comfortable or okay sharing some of those emotions or thoughts that have come up for you and maybe some of the healthier thoughts that have come up for you as well? Yeah. I mean, I'll do my best. I, (laughs) yeah, I mean, and you don't have to, you can just be like, I feel like shit. That's also acceptable. (laughs) Which is, yeah. I mean, that piece has been hard. I am, I feel like my body is the thing that I can control the most, you know, especially like I'm an instructor. I teach, I um, know how to move. Movement comes naturally for me. Um, So it's been like that piece I may be struggling with a little bit less, but like early on, I think that was like such an out-of-body experience. I lie. I'm still struggling with that right now too. It's, It's really hard not to be able to tell this body to do something that I want it to do. And I think a big frustration with this is I've always been like, I've never taken birth control. I've always had regular cycles. I've tracked my period before anyone was tracking their period, you know, put it in, made all my friends track it, kept track of their cycles. Like we're all synced up, like love the period, love all of that. And I felt so sure that I would get pregnant immediately. Like one of the most sure and intuitive feelings I think I've ever felt. And what has been a struggle now is feeling like my intuition kind of backstabbed me Mm. and having a hard time, like trusting my intuition on this piece, because I'm like, wow, you were, it was, I was so, I was so wrong, you know? And I think like 
that is something that it, that I just have felt a lot of turmoil on, um, and kind of trying to decide like what to do next. Like, am I going to go down an IVF route? Am I, am I going to keep going IUI? Like I feel out of touch in a way that I haven't necessarily felt out of touch. And I've been trying to think about this experience, um, as like preparation for parenthood and that I'm, that I'm learning a lesson that I was going to have to learn, like, regardless, I'm just learning it before the baby instead of maybe when the baby comes. Okay. Um, and so like, as a parent, you're going to have to make really hard decisions and none of them feel right. Right. Like as a parent, your child is going to hurt you in ways. Like sometimes I feel like this baby's hurting me, you know, like the spirit baby that's up there. Like it's hurting me. Why are you putting me through this pain? But like kids do put parents through pain. Like it's such a selfless experience. That's what I'm trying to lean into is like this surrender and sort of this lesson. And, you know, for anyone out there going through it, you may be nodding along or you may be shaking your head. I think sometimes when you're in this experience, you just grasp onto like anything that is going to get you through the next day and like make it some, bring some sort of reason, you know? I can bring any comfort, which I'm sure is minimal. I will say that from the experience of being pregnant and having a termination and then just being pregnant, imagining what you're going through hormonally and the, the process of, trying to get pregnant and what that puts your body through, it can make it very challenging to be super tapped into your intuition because you're so overcome by hormones that feel so foreign and are so foreign to your normal body. And I found so many things proved to be hindsight is twenty twenty when I finally was able to step back and you're such a force of nature and you're so committed to learning and expanding and growing and bringing other people on that journey with you. I personally feel there's no doubt that you will use all of this towards beauty and grace and compassion for others. So uh, I'm just so sorry, but I am, I'm positive. It's not going to be in vain. Um, as valuable as that is coming from a stranger. <laughs> it's, it's very valuable. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, I had another thought on this on uh, just the idea of like miscarriage and kind of women and the Bible and maybe a lot of things, but I, when we first got pregnant um, and we found out, you know, obviously like so excited and finally done. And we just wanted to tell like everyone, right. Because ever like so many of our friends, family, like a lot of people have been through this journey with us. It was Christmas day. So it was like an amazing, you know, little Christmas miracle to share with people. And, you know, normally you don't tell, and I didn't like announce it on Instagram or anything, but normally you don't tell anyone until 12 weeks is sort of like the rule of pregnancy. And I remember in these early times thinking like, why is it 12 weeks? I mean, I know that it's because that's when the baby is more safe, but it's like, why do we have to wait until then? to tell people. 
And it felt like it was because there's so much shame around the potential of losing the baby, even though it's something so common that happens, that there's so much shame that like heaven, heaven forbid you tell someone too early and then you miscarry and then you have to like tell them that too. Mm. And I just kept thinking about how like, you know, a lot of stuff happens in the first trimester. I mean, my hormones were all over the place. I couldn't poop. Like it was a very short amount of time, but it was like, holy crap, what is happening? And I was like, oh, I need support. And all I kept thinking was like, I wish it was time to like be able to say something on Instagram or like to ask people and And then I, you know, this is multi-layered. Then I had a miscarriage. Then I had to tell a lot of people. And wow, I understood that more. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I was like, how do we get the support that we need? I don't know. I think that the whole entire thing around getting pregnant, destigmatizing miscarriage is something that definitely needs to happen. And like this idea that there is a time frame in which you're allowed to say something uh, is very strange to me. Like, I think there needs to be more coming together and like supporting people because it is a wild and very confusing time. And you're someone who's had a baby, so you may have more insight than I, you know? (laughs) Well, this is just why I love you. And I just feel like such a kindred spirit because I always recount this story of my sister being at the dinner table. Like I said, this like repressed Irish, Polish, Catholic family, Mm -hmm. just being like, it's the lo- lovely weather today. And you're like, oh my God, this is so boring. And my sister would be the one that was like, I gave so-and-so a blowjob last night. <laughs> <laughs> and her whole intent, like I, I, I spotted her in the moment. I was like, I see you. She's like 13 years older than me, but I always looked at her and she would humiliate me because everything was so embarrassing and shameful and unspoken in my household. But for me, what she was doing was inviting everybody to be real and inviting everybody to be compassionate towards each other and to share stories. And I love the devotion that you and Nico both seem to share in allowing people, which I'm sure is a huge undertaking. You both really allow yourselves to be scrutinized. That's just naturally going to happen when you're telling society at large that you have made these choices with your life that feel unconventional or scary to others. But I've always sensed that the intention both of you have was to just invite people to share their stories as well. Is that what you say like compels you to share so much of yourself? It's interesting because I think sometimes, well, I do share a lot of myself. Um, and I also have a lot of pieces that I don't share in ways, you know, I I mean, I think I'm always, I really work to look at anything I put out and make sure it's as honest as it can be. Mm. Um, but there's definitely times when, you know, I could have written a million posts right now about how I actually, how I feel about this miscarriage and I've written one or two, you know, cause it's intense. You get a lot back. Like anytime you put something out, even just people being like, I'm so sorry. I hope you're okay. You know, sometimes that can even be a lot because you're like, I'm trying to have a day where I can just sort of forget about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for me, it actually oftentimes helps. And I think that when I can like verbalize some of what I'm feeling, it's really helpful for me as just as a person that's like cathartic. 
And then I mentioned this earlier, but there's like kind of a missionary side to me, you know, it's like built in. And actually when I've had my astrology chart read, like it actually, like there's like a a thing where you, if like you have to do good in the world or you want people to know, you need to like spread the, spread the gospel. Um, (laughs) But I like certainly have that in me. And so there is a, there's definitely a piece of me that feels like I have to speak out or I'm called to speak out. And there's an empathetic side of me that thinks of someone else who's experiencing what I'm experiencing. And I'm like, I wish I had these words to read or something. You know what I mean? It's like, um, there's like almost a, like a do good piece looped into it or something that seems to exist. Um, and I, and I do want things to change, you know? And I think a lot of that is like, I grew up in an environment that was just so narrow and the the idea of what you could be in the world was so narrow and it was so small. And I have, um, 11 nieces, I've, I've, well, 13 nieces and nephews and these young girls, like they're my everything. And they're kind of my like back end push for the reason that I do anything in this world. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, like one day they may, they may need someone like me. And I was actually listening to a podcast that you did and I can't remember which one it was, but you said something about, I think it was you who said it where you were like, things happen generations after generations. There's a cycle until someone comes along and like breaks the cycle. Mm. And do you know what I'm talking about? And I like felt very called to, I feel very called to break the one that breaks the cycle, you know, and like break and like breaks this chain of oppression. I don't know. (laughs) No, that's beautiful. And I absolutely believe that. And I think the irony of, of people like you and I, like walking away from the church, so to speak, and then spreading this new gospel that ironically is still completely centered in love and compassion and understanding. It's like everything you guys taught us, it's not, we're not doing it the way you thought we would within this church with under this steeple, but it's being done in a completely revolutionary way. And thank God, because of course I agree so much needs to change. So I know we're reaching the end. I'm going to be remiss if I don't ask you about your relationship because everyone and so many people, especially that are deconstructing these ideas of relationship, especially coming from religious backgrounds or, you know, particularly repressive environments get very fascinated. And they're like, what is this? How can I do this? Do I want it? Can I handle it? Can I handle the envy? Can I handle multiple partners? All of these things. Um, so I guess, I don't know, there's so many questions wrapped <laughs> in that one, that one idea. I'm just remembering this uh, conversation I just had recently with a porn star named Aaron Smallhands is his porn name. And he is lovely. We had an excellent time talking and he is married. He's been married for a really long time. And his view on open relationship was just so beautifully articulated. He was just talking about like, hey, I want everything in the world for my wife and she wants everything in the world for me. And we make sure to champion each other. We want each other to succeed. And that trumps any feeling of envy or, um, you know, complication that people imagine would be stirred in a relationship like that. But 
How do you see it? Because that's another thing. I feel like I've met so many people who are in unhealthy open relationships. They're opening up the relationships under duress even, or one partner wants it, the other one doesn't. Why is this, or has this been important to you? I know you also vacillate and you don't always keep the label of open. Sometimes it's open, sometimes it's not. But why generally is this a concept or a relationship style that you support and that you feel works well for you as a human being? Yeah, it's always interesting because um, Nico and I have known each other uh, for 15 years and we've sort of been, uh, we have been everything. Like we've been boyfriend and girlfriend. We've been partners. We've been best friends. We've been not talking to each other. We've been like, you know, kind of we're family. Um, it's ran its course in a lot of different ways. So what's different for us is we didn't have a monogamous relationship that one day we decided to open up, um, a polyamorous relationship was just kind of built into who we are. And in all the time that we knew each other, Nico and I had a lot of like, like we never really put a label on our relationship. We were never like, you're mine and I'm yours and that's it. Like, we kind of separated many times, but there was never a breakup conversation. One of us moved to a city and we just kind of knew that we'd be dating other people and that was it. But then like something bad would happen and they were our first, we were each other's first call, right? Mm-hmm. Each other's emergency contact the entire time. Really? Like, yes. Like it, it was just, um, yeah. it was like a deep thread that was underrooted, which for me, it's like, who else would you rather marry in this entire world, right? This is the person like I know is not going anywhere. Like to me, that's marriage material. And that's a part of the reason why we got married and also to start a family. And, um, but I think we do have a very different experience of polyamory because like, we just never intended for us just to be monogamous. And I think like when we were dating, a lot of times what, what would happen is this was in our party days when we weren't our best versions of ourselves, but <laughs> we would just cheat on each other. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then it'd be like, I like, I slept with someone or I did this and he'd be like, Oh, I'm mad at you. And I was like, I'm not really mad at you. It's fine. Whatever. Like there was this kind of weird thing where we did it and we kind of pretended to care, but then we realized we didn't really care. And so the language of polyamory sort of gave more context to us. And I think it just allowed us to be like better partners toward one another. Um, however, to be completely honest between COVID, um, well, COVID, COVID, COVID and, Mm -hmm. and trying to get pregnant and like going through all this, we haven't had space for other partners, particularly there's like been some and maybe some dates, but Nico and I aren't, it's not really about going out and sleeping with someone. It's about, you know, having someone else that you connect with, or for me, you know, having a woman, because I am very queer and very gay in so many ways. (laughs) Um, And so, but it hasn't been at the forefront of our relationship currently, simply because of situation. And I think that's okay, because polyamory is more like a state of being like our, the being of our relationship is polyamorous and open and supportive in that way. But the current like action or state, right. Is, isn't going to stay the same of being whatever the opposite of that is. Um, that's not really where it is right now. And I think it'll go back to that. And I think it'll shift, but 
right now, I don't know, there's just not a ton of space and the world is so weird. Yeah, I completely hear you on all of that. And I've had a lot of my experiences that I intend to share as well, because I was in um, an unintentionally unethically open relationship, which is kind of what, you know, a lot of people wind up experiencing. And I find the more sexually ethical that I am committed to being, the much, much, much less sex is available to me because finding someone that's aligned on the right page, ready to engage with you in a very open and honest way, hard to come by, very hard to come by. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And I'm also not much of like an online dater. Like I can't do the apps and I would rather go to a bar and meet someone. Um, And I'm just not really doing that right now. You know, it's just, it's not in my immediate purview. Um, However, like I think relationship wise, I think being in an open relationship or a poly relationship or multi-partner or whatever you want to say forces so much communication Mm. and so much love and so much understanding and so much space for your partner. And if like, those aren't things that make an amazing, strong relationship, like, I don't know what is. And so we really, I think it always helps for us to think about how this relationship or maybe even those feelings of envy, jealousy, how they actually build and make us stronger. And there's something that's really peaceful about that thought. Mm. Yeah. On that, I think maybe one of the last things I'd ask would be, did you find yourself on this adventure with Nico checking in often with yourself and surprising yourself? Like For example, I was with a partner and he would come home from being with somebody else. And when I checked in with my body, I realized that my social script and my religious script told me like, you better be mad and you better be jealous. But I would check in with my body and be like, okay, but I don't feel any of that. And yet I felt compelled to force myself to feel that way. Um, Did you ever experience anything like that? Or were you surprised by what you did or didn't feel? All the time. Yeah, exactly what you just said, 100%. And I actually think that happens with a lot of, with a lot of different things in my life where I'll be like, wait, do I, do I actually feel that way? Or is that like second Baptist church talking? I mean, you know, like which, which one is that there? And, um, and yeah, it, Nico and I don't have a typical relationship on paper and I think to other people, but people who know us or people who have met us meet us and are in the same room with us. I was like, oh, I get it. And that's how I always felt our relationship has been. Like we could be together or apart or anything and we're in the same room and people are like, oh, you too. Okay, I get it. Um, They're my everything. Um, I love it. (laughs) And I don't know if this is invasive, but I'm curious as both of your stars ascend and both of your careers elevate and become, you know, gain more notoriety. Was there ever any intimidation about that? Like, oh, now this is the time I'm going to lose this person because it affords or seems to afford more opportunities to meet people and to be beloved or to be lusted after. Um. There was only one time, and that was a long time ago before we ever had a label for polyamory. So no, not surrounding the polyamory part, but there was a time like early on in our relationship. I mean, we were 
19 and 21, probably, um, living in LA and Nico got kind of their first like big job, uh, which by the way, the show was like canceled shortly after, but Nico went away, like got the call left. And I remember them walking out the door and I was like, we're not going to talk for a while. And there was like a six month period where we didn't like talk. And it was very early on in our relationship, but kind of the only time that happened, But I would say otherwise, um, success for one of us is success for the other. And as far as like finding other people, I mean, I don't know. It would be great if we both had a cutie to (laughs) make all of this heavy lifestyle right now feel better. Mm. So DM us. No. That's amazing. This is the internet dating. I'm providing the up. Yes, thank you. <laughs> that's <is> great. <laughs> okay. Well, any thoughts? I'm just I'm so grateful for all the ground we covered. I feel like I could talk to you for a year about each of these different topics. So thank you so much because everything from body neutrality, which you taught us about, um, to pronouns, all of it is just invigorating and helps me understand and I hope helps all of you understand these aspects of life and of how to be and how to be most comfortable in your skin so thank you for bringing us all on that path with you Uh, thank you so much and thank you for what you're doing as someone who went through like the kind of rebellious side after religion you know how to go the other way and was so mad about it and I'm still healing that relationship and it's really hard to even start healing that relationship. I think this kind of conversation and things that you're doing is um, really, really impactful for a, for a lot of people. And I know, especially for myself, it's, it's nice to be able to talk about God and religion in a different light. Yeah. Thank you so much.